Welcome to Teachings in the Air. air, air. podcast with Jerry Oldman, coming to you from Hunkameenam Territory with a podcast series about indigenous men's health and wellness. We aim to inspire, motivate, and empower indigenous men to be sound in mind, body, and spirit, because that's what health means. is teachings in the air with Jerry Oldman. Holy, it's season five for the podcasts, teachings in the air. So I've been thinking about this since uh, we wrapped up the last season and I follow a theme or I've come to do that and uh, this year it's going to be around strong mind, strong body, Strong spirit. You know, the, that's how, when I think about my life, I had to do a purification of my mind, of the negative messages that settled into my brain. I had to purify my body to get work done on my body to get rid of the negativity in my muscle cells. And my spirit, I, I, I needed to strengthen my spirit so I'd have an incredible will to live and to succeed so that nothing would stop me on what I feel is my purpose. So that's what I wanted to focus on this year. And oh, I've been talking to my team and to people that I could interview on panels, you know, to for this season, and I'm looking forward to it. Because a lot of it's about finding out what works for the people. To inspire people to go, to go look for healing, to look for wellness, a way to take care of their body, their mind, and their spirit. And to find the healers. You know, a healer is someone that helps an individual to become original before the damage. And of course, uh, you know, the experience physically, I'll give a simple example, is if I break my arm, like my wrist, then I go to the healer, and the healer 
sets the bone in place and binds it up in the cast until it forms again and heals, and it's just like before it was broken. So that's for the body. And for the mind, you know, for me to wake up in the morning and not be thinking negative, but look forward to the day. What am I going to do today? You know, who am I going to call? You know, even what am I going to eat? Or <laughs> what am I going to do? So my spirit has that willpower to keep going. To be out with the people, to be out with Mother Earth, to be part of life, not fighting life. So when I started doing this podcast business, you know, or this work, I said, well, it's all going to be about teaching so that people can learn, you know, to solve problems, their problems. That's what counseling means. The word counsel actually means problem-solving. And I know that I, I needed to be taught, I needed to get teachings on how to take care of myself. So the podcast will be teachings, and I'll ask people to teach, to share with the listeners positive ways of healing, and so there'll be positive outcomes. To motivate people to have that thought in their mind, I can do this. These ones that are on teachings in the air are role models for me and they're showing me that this can be done. So to motivate people to take care of their mind, their body, and their spirit. You know, I've been inspired by people that went through healing. I've been inspired by healers and knowledge keepers that shared with me how it was done, how it can be still done today, how we can achieve healing and wellness in our life, in my life. So the podcasts are to help us understand, to help all of us understand, because once we achieve a clear understanding, we can take action positive action. So always I want to create understanding, not confusion. You know, healing and wellness is our personal responsibility as adults. We must do this. We must, I must. <laughs> My late cousin would say, when you say we, are you talking about you and that mouse in your pocket? Now I'll talk about Jerry. I, once I achieved understanding, I could take action. One of my big understandings was it wasn't my fault, the trauma of residential school, and not to go around acting like it's my fault or I'd done something wrong. I did not do anything wrong. I was simply being a child and a teenager. You know, so once I understood that, I could start my healing journey. That I didn't ask for trauma. I didn't ask for wounding of my mind 
or my body or my spirit. Because that's what, you know, trauma is, is, literally means to wound. My mind was wounded by the racist messages I heard in the air of stupid Indians, of lazy Indians, you know, of my people, my people. I didn't want to be ashamed of my people. I belong to my family, my community. When I think of myself as a child, it was an inclusive community. We're all together. We're all in this together. We're part of this. We have the funeral feasts, or when I was a child, uh, I don't know how new that was, but there were bazaars, what they called a bazaar, where we'd all go together, and they're alcohol and drug-free, and then the ladies would be, and the mothers would be making food, you know, and they'd, they'd go there, and it's like a craft fair, too. They could sell things or trade things, you know, and um, oh, it was wonderful. As a child, I'd be excited about going to those. I remember my, my late mother combing my hair, you know, using the Brill Cream. Brill Cream was a product in those days, you know, to try and get my hair to be into a nice wave. You know, and clean clothing. I remember I used to wear suspenders as a child. You know, and Oh, that was a. That was inclusive. We were all there, and there would be laughter and people visiting and sharing. We're, we're okay. You know that they weren't talking about racism or colonization at those gatherings. We were enjoying each other's presence. We were at that time being medicine for each other. Inclusive, supporting each other, laughing together. And I'd see the same when um, one of our relatives went to the spirit world. We'd come together again, and it would be inclusive. Oh, everybody would have food. You know, the, the table set. When I was a young child, we'd go... You know, I couldn't go to the funeral service. It wasn't our culture. But I can go to the feast. But I couldn't go to the graveyard or the service. It wasn't explained to me why, but my reasoning is, is that I wasn't mature enough to process that. But anyway, we'd go to the funeral feast. And there'd be an elder. We're eating we're all outside and uh, by the fire or inside. And they'd have these tables in a row with chairs in each side. Someone would come and say, the table's set. And uh, people would go find a place to be seated. And they'd bring out the food. I remember deer meat salmon. There'd be a big bowl of bones because the marrow was, oh, it's so delicious to say that word. I say marrow and I go, mm, I want some. 
the deer bone marrow. They would cut the bones and boil them. But it was all inclusive. We were all together. We are all one. You know, so that's, in my mind, in my reasoning, that's where I want us. We're still there, but to purify it a little bit, to tune it up, because we are now in times in conflict in our communities, family against family. You know, so a strong mind, strong body, strong spirit can contribute to reconciliation in our communities, in our families. We have families fighting each other, brother against brother, cousins against cousins. You know, in my imagination, it wasn't that way before. So the goal is to, like I say, to bring understanding so that we can all live a wellness life and we can all help each other reach our potential, especially our children. You know, so they can become a professional or a business person, a successful business person in their life that they have an incredible feeling of purpose so that they will not self-harm or harm each other. So healing and wellness, that's what is an outcome of healing and wellness is how we are with each other in our communities, our families, how we're living together. You know, there are words have guided all human beings, like through history, because we can communicate. And I now, of course, have learned that words can heal, our words can destroy, our words can confuse or trick. So we have to be careful with our words that we use when we're communicating with each other. Instructions I received were to be careful and sincere with your words because they go through the air and they enter the other human being. So be careful and be sincere. Don't play with words. You know, some of the words that came out were in regards to identity. But I just today looked up the word identity in a dictionary, and it's a Latin word, and it's about sameness, about being the same. So there's racial identity, I'm Statlium, so I'm with the Statlium people. Of course, then identity gets, identity gets confused at times, and I think my mother, late mother tells me, oh yeah, we're part Spanish and we're part Irish. So I have to sit down and reason that out. My conclusion over, over the years was, who am I to criticize one of my relatives that fell in love with a Spaniard or an Irish person? Or however it happened. And I said, well, it's not up to me. 
I don't want to be identity police. But I could see what identity is doing today. It's one of the things I see, it's stopping us from being human beings together. I've been recently on conversations with others that aren't Statlium, that are Canadians, like of European descent. Yeah, during a conversation, you know, because I work with different organizations and institutions, and I'd say, you know what, you're not... You know, to me right now at this moment, you're not a white person and I'm not indigenous. We're just two human beings working together. And I prefer that. Because uh, people have a hard time to shake a created identity. I know that's the truth for myself. I had a hard time to shake that stupid Indian identity or the negative, the ism. You know, that ism that they add to a noun, like race-ism, the negative between races. And that was built up by the words that were inferior that those other human beings are inferior to us, we're superior. With our religion, we're superior to them because they don't know Christ and they're pagan, heathen, savages. That's part of identity that was created. I'm pretty sure <laughs> Statlium relatives before contact weren't calling themselves pagans or heathens or savages. Uchilmucha, they would say. Original people from this part of Mother Earth. Ul, original. That's a good description. It was a new identity that I started to deal with so my mind would be strong and my body and my spirit. Because I was wounded by the racist talk, being stupid and drunken, lazy, crazy, all those negatives. I needed to say to myself, that's not me, that's not my identity. I am not that. Don't you tell me what to be. I had to get that attitude. You know, the isms that come to us have been very destructive. Alcoholism. Negative between alcohol and my body. I was an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. You know, the alcohol in my body and my mind, my spirit just don't mix. They don't, they're not meant to be together. I tell share with people, you know, I've discovered, I learned that alcohol wasn't part of Statlium culture. We didn't have it. It was introduced to us. It wasn't part of our way of life, wasn't part of our culture. 
That's why I say it's a created identity to say drunken Indian or indigenous person. Before contact, you couldn't find a drunken statlium ever. It wasn't, we didn't have alcohol. So those isms have been doing a lot of harm around identity. Because they'd make us all the same. That's what stereotyping is. A stereotype, stereo actually is referring to twins. That just because I got braids and my dark complected um, First Nations, that someone would say that means he must be a drunk because of a created identity, which is far thing, farthest from the truth ever. I'm not a drunk. I don't drink. So those isms... We must, I had to deal with them myself, within myself. You know, that racism, I know it exists. I know there are racists out there. But I've learned, you know, how to navigate around people that are racist. So that doesn't mess up my day, doesn't mess up my life. Because it's not about me. They don't know me, a person that's being racist towards me. They don't know that Sahilthit is generous and kind and respectful. That's all they see is what they've been taught, that the indigenous people are inferior. They grew up with that. must be. That's what I figured out. They must have grown up with that ever since children, that worldview of indigenous people. Or, you know, even different people. Uh, I know that uh, in Canada what they call the East Indians or the people from India were treated badly when they first come here too because they were different. Same with the Chinese or Orientals. Everyone that came here the beginning of Canada were given an identity it's usually of inferiority which is totally wrong totally wrong not right so that racism has had a big impact all of the isms alcoholism you know has had big 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 impacts on me my family in my community. So the podcasts are going to help us understand this whole ism business and the impacts it had on on an individual's mind, body, and spirit. For me, my mind, I learned how to think negative about myself about people around me. You know, and I, so because of that, I didn't see the goodness in people. I lost opportunity to have wonderful friendships with others. 
you know, it's uh, it's been a long, winding road for me. And I do believe I've missed out on a lot of opportunities because of ism, racism, alcoholism. So the impacts have been negative on me. My body became unhealthy, my mind, my spirit, the term uh, ennui, which means my life had become hateful to me. I don't deny that today. Yes, that happened. Yes, that was an impact on me. But I'd rather have people say, how did you get out of it, Jerry? What, what worked for you? That's what I want to share with Strong Mind, Strong Body, Strong Spirit podcasts. So that others can know, hey, I can get out of this negative trap about me and my life. Yeah, you know, I, <laughs> one of the things I know about ageism. And I, you know, and I think that's happened probably in every generation. That we struggle with our elders at times. I was, when I was a young, in my 20s and 30s, I think my elders were old fashioned, you know. <laughs> And I think about it, they weren't old-fashioned. They were living in a way that worked. Time-tested. Our culture was time-tested. Generation after generation were doing life the same way. Training their children the same way. Harvesting food the same way, so nothing would go extinct, be here forever with us. That's how we, that's where we come from as a people, people that had a way of life and governance. They had authority and jurisdiction over the territory they lived on, and they would take care of it. Their authority was to protect what lives on Mother Earth. Protect from who? From us human beings. We're the ones that would overhunt and overfish if we don't have the laws to prevent that. And we had those. I tell people today nothing was going extinct when the indigenous people were here on Turtle Island by themselves. Because we had laws here on the land that come from the land, and we followed them and we obeyed them. You know, so the impacts, when I think of the impacts of these isms, and I think, well, it impacted me for sure. And because it impacted me and because I'm part of a, of a family, it impacted the family too. And because I come from a community, it impacted the community too. So me, my family, my community were all impacted by isms. 
<laughs> and I think of the word exorcism, which means to the ism that there's something evil. And they want to get rid of that, to exorcise that evil spirit in that person. And then when I think about that in indigenous ways, yes, that's a ceremony to purify and heal someone that's confused and messed up. <laughs> I think there were evil, there was evil too. People that became evil and they were dealt with. You know, so that's um, what I'd like to address this season is to help us understand how our mind, our body, and our spirit can be weakened. But more importantly, how we can strengthen it, how we can cleanse our mind, our body, our spirit. How we can heal it if it needs healing. What's a nourishment for our mind? What's a nourish, proper nourishment for our body and for our spirit? And of course, I know that we're all different. Different languages. You know, and I think we got so much commonality, though, as indigenous people. Because we all existed, coexisted on Turtle Island and traded with one another. Traded flint food, deer hides, dried salmon, you know. And I tell people that indigenous way was a life of relationship building because we'd have giveaways in our communities. Our families would have a, a feast to honor um, a young boy that became a man or a young girl became a woman, what they call the puberty ceremony. And that ceremony was done. They'd have a feast and they'd announce, now we have a man in our midst. And they'd introduce a young boy that became a man. And then they would feed everyone after. It's all done. And they would feast and give away gifts to all the ones that come to witness the work that that family had done in regards to the puberty rite. That's a life of inclusivity and relationship building. And it worked for us. I know it worked for us and it, it brought harmony and serenity to the minds of the people. There's nothing better than feeling that feeling that somebody's got my back. I'm not alone here. If I need help and I reach out, it's going to be there. That's part of the outcome of having a strong mind, strong body, strong spirit. So that's what the seasons can be about, and I'm looking forward to it. Already I've been talking to knowledge keepers and healers and successful people. And they agree to come on the podcast. 
You know, the method of the podcast's part of it is storytelling for sure. Where I tell you my story, about what I achieved, how I achieved it. And I want others, when they come to the podcast, to share their story. Because that's role modeling for all of the youngsters or the ones that are listening. Because I interview people with positive outcomes, positive methods that they use to help their own life or to help other people. And also traditional stories like coyote stories or raven stories or stories about the hummingbird or about how we got to have mosquitoes, all of those stories. That is love, storytelling, and also listening to others tell stories, traditional stories. Because there's a lesson in all of those stories. There's a teaching. And also, you know, I want to have panel discussions and we'd have four or five people together on a panel. Like I've had those. Like this season, I will again be having panelists talking around diabetes. You know, to share with people how to fight diabetes in their body, how to extend their life and live a good life even though they got type 1 or type 2 diabetes. Because we have so many with diabetes, this is an important podcast. They're all important. But this one, you know, I've, I've recently lost relatives to complications because of diabetes, and it hurts. And I wonder how much of it is preventable. And I think parts of it are preventable if we can encourage people to eat right and exercise and take their meds. That's why I'm going to have panelists on diabetes. And I also want panelists to come in to talk about mental health and addictions. Because the opioid crisis is real. We're losing people. How do we help them? What can we do? That's the questions we must ask. And come to conclusions of how I'm going to support my loved one that's suffering from addiction. To find proper way to do that. This is a really tough, complicated, you know, to help someone that's going downhill and doesn't want to seem to listen to you. I know how tough that is. I imagine that's how people felt about Jerry. When I was addicted, easy to give up on me. And uh, I don't blame my relatives or friends that gave up on me. Because I've had the same feeling with some of my relatives and friends that have become addicted. The strength of the ones that didn't give up on me. I celebrate them today, and I want to be like them. And it's hard, you know. To have someone look at you and say, yeah, I'm going to quit, and then the, you know, the next day they're out doing their addiction. So it's a tough one. So I want to have a panel of people that work in this field or people that have been addicted and beat their addiction. You know, so to give ideas to people and give hope to people that we can beat this. That it's a man-made problem 
therefore we can beat it. I come to that conclusion, I don't know if it was 1993, and I was working for a community, and it just seemed so hopeless. And a thought came to me in my depression at that time was that, Jerry, everything that we're dealing with here is man-made, therefore we can fix it. So I used that as a mantra for a while. It's man-made, therefore we can fix it. And I believe that today. So in panels, in interviews, with knowledge keepers, with practitioners, with people that have been healed or gone through healing, for them to share their story. So we can share it with our children, with our relatives, so it might help them. One of my teachers said, Jerry, it's dangerous not to listen. So when there's someone teaching you, you'll listen with everything you got because you might miss something that could save a life if you don't listen. <laughs> that was a good teaching for me. They're teaching about, listen, Jerry, the elder or the teacher in the room, they're laying teachings at your feet. It's up to you to watch and listen and then to pick up those teachings and to use them and to share them with other people. So that was uh, what I want with the panel discussions or the interviews. To inspire, motivate, promote cultural methodologies that they're beautiful, they're strong, and they work. And also to accept, you know, the new methodologies like massage therapy, Reiki, you know, and other things like EMDR, you know, to deal with trauma, because they work too. I've used them. And also, you know, one of the things I was thinking of is maybe for some that don't mind was to have a virtual sharing circle and record it as a podcast. That's like a panel discussion. But it'd be more about our own personal experiences in life. Well, can, you know, the panels and the virtual sharing circles with knowledge keepers, practitioners, you know, people that know. Reminds me of my elder, where I got the name Teachings and Years, not my name, but the name of the podcast, that everything we know comes through the air. That's what he told me. Everything you know, Jerry, comes through the air so you watch and listen. And you can go out and you can find it in nature, a song, a ceremony. If you go out and you meditate and you do what our people have done, use their ceremonies and their rituals to find answers. You know, the the guests on the podcasts. I like people come in to share not the nitty-gritty secrets of their way of life or their culture, but just to share the beauty of their culture and how they appreciate it. For example, name-giving or um, 
puberty rites, you know, to, to share the meaning of the, you know, the afterbirth ceremony. You know, things that were in the air that everybody knew that we revived those. I'd like to have people come in teachings in the air, the artists, the ones that capture the beauty in a piece of wood or on a paper or metal or, you know, and how they bring that expression out of beauty, symmetry. You know, and I, I think of our artists and the beautiful work they do. I have dramas with beautiful art in it. So it doesn't even, it doesn't, it also sounds good, but it looks good. And it has a message. And it's our artists that capture that. When I look at the picture graphs on the cliffs, on the rocks, you know, these on red ochre, and they're beautiful. I've seen a little documentary about Picasso and drawing two or three lines and and people could see what it is. We had lots of Picassos too doing the rock art, you know, and our artists of the day too. So I, I, I want some artists come on to teachings in the air and talk about their craft and how they got to do it and their, what it's done for them. Because I've been touched by a lot of indigenous art, what we can call art. It's actually indigenous beauty, created beauty. I'd also like to talk to people into traditional music, you know, drums and rattles and ceremonial music, social music, the way it used to be, and the way it is today. Oh, wow, it's a big social gathering, you know, they're doing those dances and that music, you know. I'd like to share with people. People come in to share the meaning of that for them and what it does, what it's done for them and their family. Same with the canoe journey. I want to have people come in that's been on canoe journeys on the West Coast, I understand there's also some in the interior, in the lakes, the big lakes. And all the work that goes into that, the training of the body, the mind, and the spirit, and how some people go and they haven't even done it, but it starts then. They see then the importance of keeping your body fit, your mind strong. Because I've been on canoe journeys. I remember the very first day on a long canoe journey. (laughs) My very first time. Because I didn't know what it's like to sit in a canoe for 10 to 12 hours a day paddling. I remember that first day I actually got a blister on my butt. Because I didn't have a proper seat cushion. Because I didn't know. I'd never done that before. But I remember that eight hours in, you know, my mind is saying, are we going to be there pretty soon? Are we there yet? 
<laughs> but that helped me, my willpower, to take care of my body, to keep my mind strong. And then the beauty of the celebration of landing in a community and they feed us and everybody sharing music and storytelling. Oh, it's just so beautiful. It's healing. So I want to have people come on to share about canoe journeys. Then, of course, there's our people that are into what they call food sovereignty. Our foods that we use and we ate and how we harvest it, how we take care of it. There are people that still know that. And the medicines are herbs. I like to have people come and share that. If they will. But they're allowed to share. Then... You know, those are the people that are hooked to our culture and our traditions. You know, and we have, uh, when I think about it, all the ones I met, we have a lot of them, actually. People that still build sweat lodges, that still do name-giving, memorial ceremonies, and um, coming of age. You know, we're all adapting, we're all adjusting, and we're all doing what we can. So I think the time has come that we step it up. We do more of this, more consistently. Because when we work together as a family to do a ceremony, we become one. Because it... To have a successful ceremony, you must have a group of people working together. Because when you invite people, and if 300 people show up, they need to be fed, they need, everything needs to go so just so. And I've seen it happen, it's still happening. So we can share that and um, understand those things and how they work. I shouldn't call them things or protocols. Protocols actually uh, referring to glue that holds things together. The ceremony protocols held us together as a people for thousands of years. This is how we do it. You don't take shortcuts. You always be respectful, be generous, be kind. Do it properly. Protocols. You know, and, uh, I know there's a lot that people cannot share but the ones that can share and what can be shared, I appreciate it. They come on and they share. Don't have to share the secrets, family secrets. Maybe just outcomes, not about the details, how it's done, but an outcome, for instance, in puberty rights. Or the different purification ceremonies, because there are many purification ceremonies. So I'm looking forward to the, looking forward to that, and then, of course, there's our ones today. I was talking to uh, these ones that were in the university, indigenous students, and said so it's like you're, you know, when we get in trouble in the past, 
a group or an individual from a family would go out and fast or go out and meditate in the mountains or the forest or the water to find a solution for the people for a specific problem. Vision quest, they call it. One of the names they give it is vision quest. So I say to these students that you're like the new age vision quest. You leave your community for four years to get a gift, to be a doctor or a nurse or a practitioner, and go home to share that with the people. So it's a sacrifice to leave your home, your community, to get the knowledge. So that's why I started using that term, new age vision quest. So I'd like to get, and I have two doctors that are going to come on to share about their journey in the field of medicine. I want to get nurses, midwives, teachers, educators, counselors and therapists, you know, the ones that work with the body, you know, that we have massage therapists and Reiki practitioners. And when I look up my LinkedIn, you know, and I look at different <laughs> platforms, I see we have a lot of trained people out there. And I get proud of that because I get trapped in this seeing the negative, seeing a colonial state or colonization. But then when I see all those people that got education and they got businesses that are building things, that are inventing things, doing things, doing music, holy cow, I get proud of them. And it reminds me of one of the things, conclusions I have about our people. This is just Jerry talking. You know, I got no systemic review or anything to back it up. It's my observation. That 75% of our people are okay. In the sense that they can work, they, you know, they, they're all right, or they might be stressed out or whatever, but they're still functionable. They still put food on the table, put a roof over the head, you know, and raise children. And 25% of our people are just suffering. Never got the healing, you know, never had the support. Isolate themselves. Isolate means to become an island. They don't reach out for help. They don't accept help when it's offered. They just go. They become homeless and addicted in the cities and towns or even in our own communities. They, they're pilp, they're lost. And also, a combination of our cultural ways and these other ways that are European or from across other parts of the world, I've come to understand there's goodness in there too. There's something in there, too, that can help our families or our individuals or our communities. So though that's the season that I'm envisioning that I'm working on now around health and wellness for the people is to invite wonderful guests for me to continuously read and search and listen 
or ideas about healing and wellness and to share it with the people. That's what my life is today. And I believe that's a traditional life. That's the way we all were at one time. And also I believe that many are that way now. As having a conversation with people about indigenous-specific racism. I said, one of the things I realized, like when I go home to my own community, I seldom hear people talking about racism there. Where I hear it is in uh, colleges and universities and uh, institutions. Like universities or colleges or hospitals or health authorities, um, justice. And of course, I said, give my head a slap. And I said, of course, that's where it is. That's where it is. There's no racism in the community because we're segregated and we're there by ourselves. But uh, I'm so proud of the people. They don't make it a big burning issue in their life and their community. They're simply working to exist there on their reservations, their community to make a good life as best they can. So when I seen that, when I thought that thought came to me, I said, okay, we're not into the blame game there. In my community, at least, we're not into the blame game. Sure, we do blame the government. You don't fund us enough, you know, on different justice, like police, you know. You know, you were, we were frightened of you, you know. We still have those conversations, but it's not like every day. You know, so that's where I am today. Strong mind, strong body, strong spirit. That's what I want for Sahilthit, for Jerry. And I work at it. I slip, you know, COVID, oh my gosh, it's two years now and it's still here. Now they're, you know, that viruses changing. I was telling some medical people in the summertime, you know that COVID, that virus, it knows we're hunting it and it wants to live and it wants to survive, so it's going to change. And it is. And I've been having ceremony once a week just around COVID that there be a, a cure, that there be a vaccination, that we be safe from this. That it doesn't hurt the children or the elders or the people. To take care of the ones that are working day after day to find a cure, to find a protection against COVID. Because once it became pandemic, and pandemic means all the people, pan means all, endemic comes from the word demos, all the people, doesn't matter your color or your religion, all the human beings. Pandemic. So to me, when I hear the words Natsamat or Quinatsa and Hankaminam, which means referring to we're all one, 
we must embrace that we're all one, that we literally all need each other. To make a good life for our children in the future, work together, come to an understanding that it's our responsibility as adults in this world today to work together to protect the future of our, for our children and our children's children. That conflict will not do that. I don't think it ever has successfully. You know, I'm a, I love reading about history and I know that there's been conflict and they'd overthrow a regime. Then years later, I'd see, are they happy? And I'd see them still struggling. So I think if we can come to that place of working together, that things will start to change. That we need to change, literally. We're in peril, you know. <laughs> We're threatened as human beings. And it's human beings that are causing the problems on planet Earth. So we must find ways, first off, because once my mind becomes strong, my body and my spirit become strong, I can be a positive influence and a positive participant with a group, whether it be my family or my community, where I live, or the country I live. And that's, that's tough. You know, I, I mistrust governments, you know, democracy, you know. But I'm part of it. I have to work with it somehow. That's what I'm still figuring out. Where I should participate, when I should participate, how I should participate. Is it my responsibility? I say, yes, it is. Then the hard work of actually doing it. But it can be done. It's been done in the past. So we're going to win my brother's dream that I keep looking at when I feel discouraged or I feel hopeless. And my brother says, I dreamt we won, Jerry, as indigenous people. Good look in our eyes, you know, walk with purpose. We don't slouch, you know, we work hard, we're successful. We look good. And that was his picture of victory. So I followed that dream and say, yes, sit like an eagle, don't slouch, don't drop your head, walk with purpose, be respectful, be kind, be indigenous and share that indigeneity with everyone around you. Then that way you have a good sleep at night food tastes good. You look at the nature outside and it's beautiful. The trees, 
The wind and the grass. The summer I seen the wind and the grass. It reminded me of that philosopher, I think, from Alberta. I asked him, what's the meaning of life? And he says, it's a breath of a buffalo on a winter's day. It's a shadow that runs across the grasses. Oh. I thought, that's life. It's what you see in front of you. You don't think about it. You just absorb it. So we come from a beautiful people. I remind everyone again, that's where we come from. Let's go back to that and concentrate on strengthening our mind, our body, and our spirit. So I'd just like to thank you for listening to this introductory podcast, and um, I'm looking forward to my panels, my interviews, and plus I'll come on and I'll talk, just like I am now, share what's been going on with Sahilthit. Part of my what I've accepted, that I am to teach, motivate, and inspire. So I'd just like to thank you again, and looking forward at some point to seeing you, you know, (laughs) goodbye.